podcast from Redeemer Christian Church in Amarillo, Texas. We hope you enjoy this sermon. For more information about Redeemer, please visit our website at RedeemerChristianChurch.com. Good morning, church family. It's a privilege to be with you today. Today, our scripture reading comes from the gospel according to Matthew chapter 6. We're going to begin our reading in verse 9, and we're going to continue our reading through verse 13. Pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This is God's holy word. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Almighty and everlasting God, Heavenly Father, last week we witnessed a transfer of power in our own nation, but today we acknowledge that your everlasting kingdom knows no end. I pray that your Holy Spirit would give us eyes to see your kingdom. Give us hearts that desire your kingdom to come in and through our lives. May this kingdom be in our lives on earth as it is in heaven. And we pray these things for the glorious name of Jesus Christ, who is your Son and our King. Amen. Amen. You can have your seat. Today, we are continuing our study of a very famous passage of Scripture that's known as the Lord's Prayer. In this series, we've been meticulously examining each phrase of the Lord's Prayer, and we're looking at how Jesus, through this prayer, taught his disciples, instructed them in how to pray. So to catch you up on where we've been, uh, the very first phrase we looked at is our Father in heaven, looking at what Jesus is teaching us about the character and the nature of God to whom we pray, that he is our Father, that he is the God of a people, the church, his chosen people. We're also looking at the fact that he is in heaven, that he is the transcendent, glorious, powerful God, that he is our Father. That we, when we pray to this God, we're not praying as slaves before a harsh taskmaster. We are praying as children before a heavenly Father that loves us. Secondly, last week we looked at what it means to pray, hallowed be your name. That in that petition, we are essentially asking for the Holy Spirit to empower us to honor the name of God in everything that we think, and everything that we say, and everything that we do. This week, we're going to explore the next petition of the Lord's Prayer, which is found in verse 10 of our scripture reading today. That petition is, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So here, Jesus is asking his followers, he is commanding his followers to pray for something that is the topic that he taught more about than anything else in his ministry. And in fact, if you look at the writings of many biblical theologians, you will find that they will say that the kingdom of God, this idea of God's kingdom coming, the central idea of of God's reign over his creation is the central message of Jesus' earthly ministry. It's the thing he talked about more than he talked about anything else. 
But to understand that, that concept of the kingdom, which for many people can be kind of unclear, it can be kind of um, just without form, nebulous. It's, it's something that we don't know exactly what that thing is. If we're going to understand what the kingdom is and why it's such good news and what it means for us to pray for it, we do have to understand that as Americans, we are in a bit of foreign territory when it comes to understanding the nature of a kingdom. I once read a story about a British evangelist, and he came to minister in the United States. He actually came upon an invitation. He was going to do ministry in several cities, and as Providence would have it, his very first stop was Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And so because this was such a place that was so significant to the American Revolution, he wanted to basically visit the tourist sites before he did his ministry. And so he went and saw the Liberty Bell, He visited Independence Hall, and he would go inside of stores that sold revolutionary paraphernalia. And so he he noticed the slogans that were being used, like, no taxation without representation, or don't tread on me. And, And one particular slogan of the revolution caught his attention, and that slogan was, we serve no sovereign here. And when he saw that sign, he understood that his evangelistic task in the United States might be a little bit more difficult than he had initially imagined. He, he, in fact, said, how on earth am I going to preach the gospel to a people who have such a profound aversion to the notion of a kingdom? Now, most days, I have to admit, I'm very thankful that we are living in the United States of America, not the North American colonies of Great Britain. However, I do think that the British evangelist saw something that we need to see about ourselves. That as Americans, we have a cultural predisposition to worship at the altar of absolute self-autonomy. That it becomes something that is a good thing that we have elevated into being an ultimate thing. And so we tend to reject any notion of something or someone being sovereign over us, even if that something or someone is God himself. It's something that we're kind of tempted towards uniquely as Americans. And and I think that's very much true of us here in Amarillo, Texas. After all, I've said in the past that in Texas, Texas is the America of America. And I believe that West Texas is the Texas of Texas. And so in some sense, we, we, more than anyone else, really cling to that notion of really picking up ourselves by our own bootstraps. But Jesus, we have to understand this, has not called us to be independent-minded West Texans. He has called us to be his dependent disciples. And that's not a a position of weakness. It's actually a position of great power. That he has called us to pray for his kingdom to come. That he has called us to long for the rule and the reign of God, the righteous king in our lives and in our world. So for the rest of our time today, what I'd like to talk about is unfolding this notion of what it means to pray for the kingdom of God. We're going to look at, number one, the need for the kingdom of God. Number two, we're going to look at the call of the kingdom of God. And number three, we're going to look at the hope of the kingdom of God. So point number one, the need for the kingdom of God. I think there are two major ways that we avoid actually acknowledging or even seeing our need for God's kingdom in our lives. The first is that we simply ignore our need for the kingdom through distraction. So right now we live in a really unique age of history where we have something like the internet, a 24-hour news cycle, 
It's never been more really easy to be well-informed about the brokenness of our world and the pain that is in this world. But conversely, even though we have this opportunity to be better informed, we are also a very distracted people. We overcommit ourselves with schedules that are packed with busyness. We use our smartphones to distract us from everything that we might want to avoid. We, we use our smartphones and, and other mo- ways of distraction through media to distract ourselves from ever having to think deeply about something that is inconvenient or painful to us. We sedate ourselves with entertainment. We know just enough about the woes of our world to be anxious, but rather than taking our cares to a God who is powerful in prayer, we cover up our fear with activity and distraction. Another way that we avoid seeing our need for the kingdom is through a thousand different self-salvation projects. And we do that individually, but we also do this corporately as a society, as a community. So individually, we might try to control our lives through a new time management scenario or system. We we try to control ourselves through a a new diet or a workout regime. We try to control ourselves through self-help techniques. Corporately, so often, and you see this very clear right now, we devote so much of our passions and our imaginations to politics as the way to find salvation, as the hope that we have. And essentially, in, in all of these things, they're centering us on this idea that our hope lies in this world. Now, it's not a bad thing to be a responsible person. It's not a bad thing to be politically informed or civically engaged. But if we think that we can control our lives, every aspect of our lives, so as that we will be able to remove suffering and evil, if we think something like politics is the answer to all of the world's problems, we will never look beyond ourselves for salvation. So in teaching us to pray, the way that Jesus is teaching us to pray here and teaching us to pray for his kingdom to come, Jesus is inviting us to step outside of a human-centered worldview so that we might understand our need for God in our lives. See, in order for us to really understand this notion of the kingdom of God and our need for the kingdom of God, I think it's helpful to remind ourselves of of the mindset of the Jewish people at the time of Jesus' ministry. You see, the Jewish people were unique in the world that they they were acutely aware of their own story as a people. The story of the Old Testament, God had chosen this nation named Israel. After the whole of the human race fell in sin and rebellion against God, God called this nation, Israel, a nation of slaves, to be his holy people. He delivered them from bondage. He leads them into a promised land. He dwells among them in a holy temple. And he even gives to them this glorious kingdom that for a brief moment is a shining wonder in the world. But sadly, rather than faithfully serving God and fulfilling their mission as God's people, the people of Israel chose to follow the ways of the nations that were around them. They fell into darkness. And as a consequence, they were divided and they were conquered. And again, they found themselves yet again under the oppression of tyrants. But God made a promise to his people that even though this should have been the end of their story, he made a promise that they would be his forever and that he was going to be faithful to his promise to restore them. 
And so the people of God began to hope in that promise. The prophets that God sent to his people began to ignite this hope that one day God would restore to them a kingdom, that he would rise up and he would defeat Israel's enemies and bring forth justice for the people of God. But then something happened toward the end of the Old Testament era. The word of God stopped. For 400 years, there was silence from heaven. Kingdoms rose and fell. Babylon rose and fell. Persia rose and fell. Greece rose and fell. And then eventually God's people, the Jewish people, were under the dominion of the mightiest empire in the world named Rome. They knew that they were set apart as God's people. They were yearning for that day when God would save them and rescue them from brokenness. And this is why it's such a profound moment, such a meaningful moment when Jesus Christ of Nazareth steps out of the wilderness and says, the kingdom of God is at hand. Such truly good news. When that phrase was heard, immediately God's people would have understand that God was beginning something new, that he was going to intervene in creation on behalf of his people, that he was going to personally take on the powers of evil, that redemption and deliverance were just around the corner. So for us to understand what it means to need the kingdom of God, we need to understand what the Jews of Jesus' time understood. That number one, although we are God's people, we are in a world that is not our home. We are a people in exile. Number two, we have to understand that there is something fundamentally broken in our world that we cannot fix in our own strength. We need to know these things. We need to understand our need for the kingdom of God. And when we understand that need, that salvation is not going to lie in the kingdom of man, Only in the kingdom of God, we will begin to naturally pray to the Lord for his kingdom to come in our lives. And so, when you're praying, Lord, let your kingdom come, what we're praying for is divine intervention into human history. We're looking at our heartbreak and our disappointments and our pain, and we're bringing those things to God rather than just trying to deal with them in our own strength. We're simultaneously refusing to ignore the brokenness of creation as well as refusing to believe that we can fix those things in our own strength. We acknowledge that true salvation cannot come from the kingdom of man, but rather we are praying for God to take all of this evil and brokenness and to redeem it for our good and for his glory. That's what it means to understand the need for God's kingdom to come. Point number two, the call of God's kingdom. Ever since creation, this is a really interesting point, men and women have been invited by God to participate in his work in the world, that God has consistently displayed his desire to actually partner with men and women for his purposes in the earth. And so God creates the heavens and the earth, all of its glory, and then he creates man and woman in his own image, and he gives to them dominion over God's creation. That he actually invites Adam and Eve to to share in his rule and his reign over creation. He authors creation, but he invites mankind to participate in it. In the same way, Jesus Christ accomplishes our redemption. He lives the life we should have lived. He dies the death we deserved. He rises again in victory by the power of his resurrection. And then he entrusts the message of that life-changing redemption 
gospel to mankind. He gives that to his church to say, now I want you to take this message into the world. He invites us to participate in his mission. So likewise, we need to understand that the kingdom of God is not just a benefit that God's people receive. It is a mission to be fulfilled. We can't bring about the kingdom of God in our own strength. But God does desire for his kingdom to be displayed in and through our lives. He invites us with our lives to bear witness to his kingdom that is coming. And so, I want you to know when you are praying that prayer, Lord, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. One of the things that we're praying for is this. God, would you begin with me? Let your Holy Spirit have dominion over every action of my body, over every word of my mouth, over every thought of my mind, and over every motive of my heart. That's a prayer that you can pray every single day. God, would you have dominion over me? Would your kingdom come in my life? That's something I actually, I pray that prayer before every single time I stand up to preach God's word. Holy Spirit, would you have dominion over every action of my body, every word of my mouth, every thought of my mind, every motive of my heart. Likewise, when we are praying for God to bring his kingdom, what we're saying is we're, we're not trying to get God's desires to be in alignment with our desires. When we're praying, God, let your kingdom come, let your will be done, we're seeing something fascinating about the nature of Christian prayer. Prayer is not an attempt to manipulate God, but oftentimes it is a means through which the Holy Spirit brings us into alignment with the will of God. We are pleading for the Lord to bend our desires to fit within his will. In fact, one of the great quotes of Augustine of Hippo, one of the great theologians of the church, he said, Lord, command what you will and will what you command. Command anything that you want. Ask us anything you can do because you are the sovereign Lord. But we also ask you, would you will what you command? Would you bring forth obedience in your people? Would you bend our hearts to desire and to love what you love? But how is it that we are to know the will of God? Well, here again, I think the Jews of Jesus' day would have easily known the answer to that question. The will of God is revealed by the word of God. The will of God is revealed by the word of God. And so, yet again, this is a constant refrain that I think we see when we study the Lord's Prayer deeply. Is it's bringing us back to the word of God. One of the best ways that we can pray is by praying the prayers of Scripture. And I think one of the easiest ways to start that process is to look through the book of Psalms. Oftentimes when someone asks me of how to be able to begin having a prayer life, I will oftentimes tell them, go to the book of Psalms. Read through it until you find a prayer that fits your life situation. Pray a prayer from your heart, from the Psalms, and, and look through the Psalms until you find where your heart is on a page. And then pray that prayer. Make that your prayer. And that's an honest way to learn how to speak. You might say, well, those aren't my words. Those are, those are God's words or those are someone else's words. I want to encourage you. We learn to pray in the same way that we learn how to speak. We are first spoken to before we learn how to speak. So like a toddler who learns her first syllable slowly by being immersed in the words of mom and dad, so too we learn the language of prayer by listening to what God himself has spoken to us in his word. So make this your habit. Pray God's word. Listen to God's word. 
Receive God's word as a gift and then posture yourself in humble dependence before the Holy Spirit to seek to do what God's word commands. And I encourage you to not just do that as an individual. Part of your kingdom coming really means that we're praying not just for it to come in our lives, but in and through the church, in and through God's people. And so another prayer that you could pray along with, Lord, let your kingdom come, is Lord, help me to know your will through your word. Help our church to know your will through your word. Help your people to display your kingdom in and through our lives. Point number three, the hope of God's kingdom, the kingdom of God. Through Jesus, the kingdom of God has intervened into history. As God's people, we are called to pray for and partner with God in displaying the kingdom as a here and now reality. But... The truth remains that evil is still a part of our situation. Evil is still active in this world. There is still brokenness. There is still heartache that we mourn. So when we pray for God's kingdom to come, there is this future reality that we're longing for. We are praying for the day when God's kingdom will come, not just in part, but in absolute fullness. And that vision of the future is what helps us understand what Jesus was doing when he was ministering on earth, and particularly his miraculous ministry. See, when Jesus was healing the sick or casting demons out of people and setting them free from oppression, when he was causing the dead to rise and he was feeding the hungry and calling the outcasts to himself, he wasn't just doing random magic tricks. Rather, he was showing us as these signposts that there is a future day that is coming when sickness itself will be no more. That there will never be demonic oppression anymore. That death itself will die. That that kingdom is coming. That was the purpose of Jesus' miracles. They were these testimonies that the world that we want is coming. And so in this way, you could almost read the entirety of the book of Revelation as God's ultimate answer to let your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is Revelation 21. Allow it to stir your heart towards hope. John says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. And they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. People of God, this is the end of our story. The hope of the Bible isn't just for us to go up into heaven It's that one day that heaven itself will come and reclaim the earth, that all things will be made new. So I want to challenge you, as I've been challenging you throughout this entire series, to commit every single day of the next coming week to prayer, to pray according to the, the formula of the Lord's Prayer, to let the Lord's Prayer be a type of a prayer outline for you. And when you pray, Lord, let your kingdom come, one of the things I want you to be praying for is, Lord Fill my heart with hope for the day when your kingdom comes in fullness. And help me live my life 
in light of that hope. What a good prayer for us to pray. To fill our hearts with a vision that there is an eternity that awaits the people of God. We need to be convinced of that. We need to be absolutely sure that that hope is certain. We need to know that there is something bigger than all the the wars of man and all the problems of mankind and, and plagues and division, that there is a day coming when God will make all things new and that the one who promised that reality to come has a very long track record of keeping his promises. See, this promise is what will give us hope and comfort when we experience suffering and brokenness, not just in general, in creation in general, but when it acutely affects us in our life. When our temporary hopes are shattered by heartache, when our worst fears come into existence, when it becomes very clear that our will and God's will is not the same, we can remind our hearts that there is a day coming when all tears will be wiped away. More than that, we are comforted that God himself, the God that we serve, knows what suffering feels like. See, Jesus didn't just teach us to pray, your will be done. He prayed it himself. On the night that he was arrested, Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane. And with the cross right in front of him, he devoted this time to pray to God and to prepare for the reality of the cross. And he prayed to him on that night, Lord, if it's your will, let this cup pass from me. I don't want this to happen. If there is any other way, let it happen that way. But nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. In this moment... Jesus submitted himself to die, the death that we deserve, so that we can have eternal life in God. It's precisely because Jesus submitted himself to the judgment of God that we can have hope that he will be the righteous judge of the nations. Because he died and rose again, defeating the power of death, we can know that his powerful, righteous reign will never end. It's because of the accomplishment of our righteous king that we can have the hope that his kingdom is near. And so, Redeemer Christian Church, as the people of God, may we be awakened to the good news of God's kingdom. May his kingdom come in and through our lives, and may his kingdom give hope, everlasting hope, to our hearts. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Almighty God, we praise you and we thank you that you have announced that your kingdom is at hand and that your kingdom is coming very soon. Thank you that you have such a track record of faithful promises that you have kept for your people so that we know that the vision of our future isn't just wishful thinking, but it's a guaranteed reality. So Lord, I pray that now and the here and now that your Holy Spirit would dwell and reign in and through our lives as individuals, and I pray that your Holy Spirit would reign in and through our church that we collectively as a people would be a beacon of light that shine forth a vision of what it means to be under the kingdom of God. May we be good emissaries. May we be faithful ambassadors of that kingdom. And I pray that when the days get dark, when suffering comes, I pray that your Holy Spirit would press into our hearts a shining vision of your kingdom that is coming. Fill and flood our hearts with hope so that we would live our lives in light of that hope. We pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.
for listening to this podcast from Redeemer Christian Church in Amarillo, Texas. For more information about Redeemer, please visit our website at RedeemerChristianChurch.com.